It's good to be back. I was out last week. I asked my friend Peyton, our worship leader, to step in. And I was telling uh, Christine this morning, I said, I feel like Peyton, you know, when he, when he came in, he kind of walked over. If you have, like, you know, maybe some wallpaper in your house and there's a little edge that's hanging out, Peyton kind of walked over and he kind of he picked at the wallpaper and he pulled it out a little bit and he was like, huh. And then he just kind of walked off. <laughs> I mean that in a good way. I mean it in a good way that he was like, you know, I don't really have all the answers. I just want to start a conversation with you guys about this kind of this dynamic between righteousness and holiness and how these two things interact with one another. And, and I'm hoping that we land somewhere. And I pray that the Lord speaks to your heart. And then I'm just going to hand the baton over to Pastor Kevin. Thank you, Peyton. I appreciate that. No, I really do, because what it did, the moment that I listened to it last week on Sunday, I thought, man, what an incredible, not just a conversation, but what a wonderful thing, an opportunity to talk about, to preach about, and to teach the saints this interaction, this indivisibility between righteousness and holiness. We have this title slide up here. It shows righteousness or righteous and holy, and it says it's indivisible. And then maybe you can't read that, but it says Romans 1, 1 through 5. So that's where we're going to be today. But before we get there, because these are fairly uh, difficult topics or subject to wrap our brains around, I call this the pre-sermon. So I want to go over the main point, because I don't always give you a main point, because I don't want to pretend to be the Holy Spirit. And so if you have one of those sheets that I passed out, I'm going to check them after the service to make sure all your uh, blanks are filled in. And if they're not, we're just going to hit the reset button and start over. And so uh, if, you're a, if you filled them in, then you get an A and you get to leave. And if you haven't, then you're just going to have to come back in and we'll start over. But the main point is that legitimate righteousness invariably manifests as holiness. That is, i.e., Active obedience in the bride and body to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations for Christ's eternal glory. That's the main point. So if you can grapple or hold on to that and maybe put it in your pocket, if you don't get all of the lines filled in right away, that's okay. We're going to see this again. So I want to move on to the next slide. Because if you don't know what righteous means or you don't know what righteousness is, it's really difficult. We're having a conversation about something that you don't have any idea. It'd be like me sitting down with some NASA scientists and they're talking about stuff. I, years ago, I used to work at Southwest Research Institute. And there are all these guys that are these brilliant MIT graduates and they've gone to all these Ivy League schools. And there are all these guys that are just brilliant. And I'm this not so bright guy who has a degree in kinesiology, which is a fancy way of saying physical education, because I wanted to find a job that I could do that I could wear shorts to. That was my goal in getting my education. And me and the guy that I worked with, Tom and I, we would sit around in the fitness center and we would have these discussions where we would pick up and glean some of the words that these scientists and these brainiacs were using and we would throw them around to one another as if we knew what we were talking about. And it was funny. But I don't want that to be the case today with us as Christians if we don't understand what righteous and righteousness are, if we don't understand what holiness and holy mean, we don't understand those things. I could get up here and preach all day long and you nod your heads like Kevin and Tom and then we walk out there and you're blah 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 blah. Righteous and holy, righteous and holy. <laughs> 
I don't want that to be the case. So what does righteous mean? Righteous means perfect standing with God by grace through faith in Christ Jesus our King. That song that we sang, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. That's what it means to be righteous. And righteousness is the state of being righteous. The next slide, holy, means to be set apart for the gospel. You can be set apart for a lot of things, right? You can be set apart for your job. You can be set apart for your family. You can be set apart for some sort of uh, pet project. You could be all about Greenpeace and saving animals and being, you know, converting everyone to being vegetarians so that no animal on the planet gets. You could be set apart for a lot of things, but that doesn't make you holy in the sense of the word. To be set apart for the gospel, the good news, the euangelion, unto the obedience of faith among all the nations for Christ's eternal glory for his namesake. So when scripture talks about being holy from the beginning to the end, that's what it means. We are set apart, not just for religion, because the Mormons, they're set apart. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they're set apart. Republicans are set apart from Democrats. Democrats are set apart from this other group. Everybody's set apart. Holy doesn't mean that. Holy means set apart for the gospel unto the obedience of faith among all the nations. That's what it means to be holy. And holiness is the state of being holy. So I have another slide up here that's sort of a rephrasing of the main point. Sometimes you hear something one way and you hear it another way and it helps bring it home. So here we go. Neither does holiness produce righteousness. Do you get that? Holiness never, ever produces righteousness, ever. Can you all say that with me? Holiness never produces righteousness, never, ever. It doesn't. Nor does true righteousness exist without the insuppressible, I want to use some big words, insuppressible manifestation. That's the reality, the disclosure, the tangible evidence of holiness. Righteousness doesn't exist in a vacuum. That's what James is talking about. One person says, hey, I've got faith and you've got works, right? So it's like, I'm, I'm good over here with just my faith, with my righteousness. I'm faultless, standing before the throne because of what Christ did. But how is that playing out? Hey, you've got works, buddy. Don't bring that works garbage over into my life. And I'm over here doing works, right? I'm over here and I'm building homes for the homeless and I'm doing all these amazing things. And I'm looking at you. It's like, you're not doing anything. You're both wrong. See, because you're trying to manufacture righteousness by your works. And you're trying to manufacture righteousness with this lie to yourself that I'm standing in the righteousness of Christ alone, but I don't do anything with it. They're both lies. Neither does holiness produce righteousness, nor does true righteousness exist without the insuppressible manifestation of holiness to verify or to validate it. These two are eternally what? So that's why there's that ginormous picture in the background of those two big 
giant navy battleship links that are stuck together, that anchor chain, that those two things are indivisible. You can't say I've got righteousness, but it's not manifesting in my life. And you can't say that I've got works apart from Christ. Those things are both lies. And we got to lay this foundation because if we don't, and we walk around saying, like, I think what the pastor was saying was this. And then we say, I, I, you know, I'm not a Catholic anymore. I'm not trying to earn my salvation. It's not earning your salvation. It's the manifestation of it. If you truly are righteous in Christ, that Jesus Christ, our Lord, if he truly is the Lord of your life, and then you go out and your life looks no different than it ever did. It doesn't look any different than the lost people that are all over the place on the globe. You say, but I'm standing in righteousness before the throne. I'm standing. It's a lie. That is you are deluded, not diluted, not taking water and watering something down. It means you are misguided that the enemy has spoken a lie into your head. He's posed as an angel of light and he's led you astray. What do you think all of the false religions are out there in the world? New Age, Scientology, Christian scientists, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, all of them. It's a righteousness that's either apart from Christ alone or it's over here. It's a works-based thing that I'm going to get there because I'm good enough. I found a way to get to heaven. That's what Jesus did, the Mormons would say. He's not eternally the son. He's not eternally God. He's a dude that was born in a manger and he figured it out. And if I follow in his footsteps, then I'm going to get there too and I'm going to become a God. There's only one God, folks. Father, Son, and Spirit eternally. And if we sacrifice that, we lose everything. Everything. All right. James 2.24, what does James say? As you can see, one is justified by their works. That word justified, in the Greek, it's the same exact word as righteous. We are declared righteous. We are justified. Standing faultless before the throne. By what? Their works? I thought, Pastor, you just said that it's not a work. It's not. The two are completely united, indivisible. That you can't stand over here and say you're justified without it manifesting his works. And you can't stand over here and say, I've got works and you've got faith. You've got righteousness. I'm going to get there, but I'm going to get there by works. Both lies. All right? Just wanted to lay a little foundation there. This is still pre-sermon stuff. We're not even in it yet. All right, worship. I got a pyramid up here and it's not because you know the pastor's got some subtle message that we're supposed to be worshiping pyramids that's not it it's just an illustration so don't go there but in this illustration what it's hopefully going to do on the other side of your handout there i've got four words that i want to go over see there's worship at the top right below the cross there there's neglect there's full rejection of god or mutiny in your handout and then there's Manufactured righteousness or false. Worship in spirit and truth, the only way that truly happens is when righteousness manifests itself as holiness. That's worship. 
and see his saints that have been born again by grace through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord, it becomes worship when we are walking in obedience, right? It's possible up there where it says saints on the side of that pyramid, on the side of that triangle, when you look at it, is it possible, as Peyton talked about last week, is it possible for saints to stumble? Is it, it is possible, right? Because we are not glorified. We are not there yet. We are not glorified in Christ. That's to come. So from time to time, you'll have something you're reading in and through the word. You, it might be someone who's practicing an alternative lifestyle, right? And they come to Romans chapter 1, they read it, and they come to the conclusion, God is not honored through this relationship that I'm having. And you have a choice to make. I can either surrender to the authority of the word, non-negotiable. It's not okay for women to be with women. It's not okay for men to be with men. That's not Pastor Kevin's opinion. That is in the word. God said it. And we said, if God says do it, then we do it. If God says don't do it, then we don't do it. But that sin, if it's a stumble, if it's something that we're doing out of ignorance... You're in that lifestyle, how you verify and validate that you truly are righteous with God is that when something is revealed to us in and through the word, whether it's in your own Bible time, whether it's in hearing a sermon or in a Sunday school class or in table fellowship, you say, oh, I did not know that. I didn't know that that was God's expectation for my life, that I'd be a generous giver. I thought it was okay for me to just withhold whatever I want and spend it however I want to do it. I thought it was okay for me to stay home and do my own thing and not be part of the bride and body of Christ. I thought it was okay. And then God reveals in and through the word that it's not okay. His desire for us is obedience of faith and that we bring that about among all the nations for his name's sake. How do we do that if it's not happening in our lives? We can't. Those are the hypocrites that Jesus pointed to the Pharisees, and he said, you hypocrites, you cross over land and sea to produce a single convert. See, because you're standing over here, you think that you're justified by your works, that you're adhering to the law, you think you've got the right genealogy, you're scouring the scriptures, you've got things memorized, you've got these oral traditions that you're doing, and you think that's the stuff that's getting you into heaven for all eternity. You hypocrites! You're crossing over land and sea to produce a single convert to Judaism, to the lie that is your religion, and when you do, you make them twice the child of hell that you are. Do you realize that's happening in Christian churches everywhere today. Hey, just ask Jesus into your heart. You're good. You're saved. Now come and sing with us if you want. Stay home if you want. Keep your money. Give your money. God loves a joyful giver. If you're not joyful, then keep it. If you're not joyful about being a steward of what God has given to you, there is a problem. There's a problem. So where righteousness and holiness intersect, where righteousness is manifested, that's worship. Or it can be neglect. We're either ignorant about something. When Job prayed for his children, right? 
for their unintentional sins because they don't know. They didn't have scripture. They couldn't go through the word and say, what does God say about homosexuality? What does God say about this? And what does God say about that? They didn't know. They didn't have scripture. So he's praying for his kids that if there's unintentional sin, that God would help them to understand who they are and who God created them to be, that they would repent, literally turn, turn from it, and worship God, standing in righteousness, expressing itself as holiness. That's worship, spirit and truth. So it can be neglect. And if we repent, if we've stumbled and it's been revealed to us, and then we surrender that thing to God, then we're back in worship, right? Even our act of repentance is worship to God. Isn't that incredible? It is. I'm going to skip the full rejection of God one there on the slide, and I'm going to go to the bottom one just for a second. False, manufactured righteousness. That's uh, attempting to achieve some status of goodness apart from Christ and the cross. It can't happen. See, it's not just the Jews that did that. Christians do it all the time, right? Ask Jesus into my heart. I'm good. We're square. I got baptized. I did the religious stuff. I go to church from time to time. That is a manufactured righteousness. I'm doing stuff. Those are the people in Matthew when Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will be saved. It's not everybody. But Lord, didn't we do some stuff? Here's our resume. But you weren't standing in righteousness. You weren't seeking to accomplish obedience of faith among all the nations. Why were you casting out demons? The reason why the disciples did it in the Gospels is because they felt pretty good about themselves. Hey, Jesus, do you notice what we just did over there? We was casting out some demons. And we even did it in your name, Jesus. Boy, howdy. Wasn't that good? And Jesus is like, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed at all. Well, it turns out we couldn't get that one. Boy, I don't know why that one doesn't come out. Well, that kind only comes out with prayer. There is no other kind. You were trying to cast out a demon by your own power so that your head would go, Woo! I could just picture the disciples one after another standing in line. Peter's like, come out! And it doesn't work. And then he goes to the back of the line. And then you got Andrew, come out! And it doesn't work. And then he goes to the back. And they're one after another. And the dad's saying, it's like, well, they tried, but it didn't work. It's because they weren't doing it in righteousness. We cast out demons. We prophesied in your name. We did great miracles. So what? What I asked you to do was to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. Not to be like Simon the sorcerer and give yourself a big head because now you've got power. Never asked you to do that. And so what does King Jesus say? I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. False. Pharisees, moralists, Christian cultists. And then there's mutiny, that full rejection of God. That's our state of total depravity from the time of conception, right? Psalm 51.5, David writes this psalm and he says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And there's a lot of people in this world, right, where I get to make my decisions. I get to be the captain of my own ship, master of my destiny. I'm in charge. I'm not responsible for what Adam did. Well, if you can't accept the fact that you are guilty in Adam, how do you wrap your brain around the fact that you are righteous in 
Christ. We don't want the bad stuff. We just want the good stuff, right? We all come into this world, and even if you reject that, even if you do, just the fact that you reject it means that you're a sinner. You reject the truth of God that is revealed in and through his word. There's no one righteous, not even one. Full mutiny. All right. That's the pre-sermon. That's the pre-sermon. Now we're going to get to the sermon. So if you have a Bible with you, and I pray that you do, turn to Romans chapter 1. Primarily in 1, 1 through 5, but I'm going to go a couple of other places really quick. Verse 1, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. And he says, Paul, he's identifying himself, that's who the letter's from. And his designation for himself is a servant, a doulos. Maybe your Bible says slave. The problem with saying slave is that in our culture, because of the, the, what happened to the African-American people, the people that were brought over here, you have folks that read slave and they immediately, that's the lens that they look through. That's not the kind of slave that Paul's saying he is. He's a willing bondservant. He's a doulos. He says, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, lowercase a, okay? Lowercase a. We're going to get to that in just a second. A sent one and set apart. The HCSB translates it singled out. Horrible, horrible translation. If your Bible says singled out, scratch it out, please. See, because if it says singled out, what it causes the reader to believe, oh, Paul's been singled out, so I'm free and clear. That's not me. But he says that it is because he goes along a little bit later and he says that's all of us who are in Christ Jesus. Called an apostle, a sent one, and set apart. Not singled out, set apart. That's hagios, that's holy. For God's euangelion, the gospel, the good news. Nothing here specific about Paul as an elite class of super Christian. Was he? Yes. But that's not his point right here. It's a generic definition of every saint, everyone born again by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, everyone who is justified, righteous in Christ through the cross. So what is the good news? What is this thing that he's been set apart for? If we don't know what the good news is, then how do we become the kind of people who advance it to the ends of the earth? Verse 2 tells us, the gospel, the long-standing promise beforehand... It's a promise that God made. If you have a Bible and you hold that thing up and you think about what Paul's talking about when he says the Holy Scripture, the Holy Writings, he's talking about Hebrew Scripture, what we refer to as the Old Testament. He's saying that the promise of the gospel has been revealed through God's prophets, not just the books of the prophets, all of it. From Genesis all the way through the end of the Old Testament of Hebrew Scripture. The Holy Writings. Christianity is not a new religion that just materialized out of nowhere in the first century. In fact, it's not a religion at all. It's not a religion. It's truth. Verse 3. Paul goes on. He's talking about now the content of what it is that the gospel, the holy scriptures are pointing to, right? 
He says the content of Holy Scripture through the prophets, all of the authors, all of the writers concerning his son. What about his son? Number one, he became fully human, a descendant of King David in flesh, speaking to Christ Jesus' incarnation. He was established as the powerful son of God, that he is eternally the son, Emmanuel, God with us, by the resurrection from the dead according to those same holy scriptures, the spirit of holiness. There's a bonus point here, and this is the one that I just want to throw out for those of you that want the extra credit. When you talk about Christ being fully human and fully God, anybody know what that fancy term is? If you go to seminary, they say it's referred to as the hypostatic union. See, there are people out there that say he wasn't really human. He wasn't really human. His incarnation is a farce, it's a lie, that he's always... How could someone be fully God and then exist in a human body? That human body would explode, it can't happen. But what God says is that he's saying, Jesus, Christ, our Lord, what he's saying is that as a descendant of David, he's pointing to the fact that when he came out of Mary, the immaculate conception, then he was born in that manger, that he was fully human. And then he goes on to say that he was eternally God. And that was validated, established, verified through the resurrection from the dead. See, people don't just get up when they want to after they die. Have you ever seen anybody get up after they die just because they want to? Doesn't happen. The only way it happens is through the spirit of holiness. The God who exists outside of time and space, who has authority, that he's sovereign over all things. Death doesn't rule over me, God says. I am in charge of death. I am God. There is nothing greater. There's nothing higher, nothing superior. And four, he is Jesus Christ. Not just Jesus Christ, but he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. There are people out there that say, well, you're just preaching lordship salvation. That's what... That's what the Bible says. He is Jesus Christ, our buddy. He's our pal. He's our homie. He may be our friend, but he can't be your friend if he's not your Lord. Lordship salvation is a reality revealed in and through Scripture. There is no salvation apart from it. And Paul validates that. If you look in verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the thing that we just talked about, that Jesus Christ, our Lord, because it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation. Amen? Amen. How are you saved apart from Jesus Christ being our Lord? Fully human, fully God, and eternally Lord. Yahweh in the Old Testament. Salvation doesn't come by any other name, does it? No. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And in verse 17, he says, for the gospel reveals the righteousness, the righteousness of God. Where does righteousness come from? God. He's the only one who has it. So you're either standing with him and you have his righteousness and then it manifests itself as holiness 
What we're doing now that we're righteous is we're going out and we're striving to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. And if that is not true in your life, then folks, this is a lie. If you are not striving to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations for his namesake, then whatever kind of righteousness you think you have is a lie. You are deceived. That's the gospel, and that's the thing that Paul says he's not ashamed of. And this is where it all comes together. Verse 5. Through him, who are we talking about? Who's the him? Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Through him, we have received what? Two things. Grace and lowercase a, apostleship. There's nobody that you've ever met in your life that is a capital A, apostle. Nobody. The only people who are capital A apostles, they've all gone home to be with Jesus. Peter and Paul, some of the disciples, the people who had a face-to-face encounter with the risen Lord. I haven't had that. You haven't had that. You may think that you have, but you haven't. You haven't had a face-to-face encounter with the risen Lord. And if you think you have, let's talk after. Because that would mean that you're a capital A apostle, and you're not. Because the teachings that are in Scripture came from those capital A apostles. So in the book of Acts, when it says that they devoted themselves to the capital A apostles' teaching, not lowercase a. See, because lowercase a apostles' teachings are, hey, you know what we should do? We should go see a movie. We should go and do this thing. Hey, let's go and feed people under a bridge. That's lowercase a teachings. That's not what we're devoted to. We're devoted to the capital A Apostles' teaching because that is direct revelation from God. That's Holy Scripture. Through him we have received grace and apostleship. Who's the we, though? Who's the we? Paul's not just talking about the capital A Apostles. When he says that we, he's talking about the saints, the born-again believers of the bride and the body of Christ. We have received two things, grace and apostleship. You can't have grace, righteousness, apart from apostleship, holiness, that's actually verifying the fact that grace is alive and it's been received in you. We've received it. If I were to take a ball and throw it at Payton right now, and he sat there and he didn't move and it hit him in the face and fell on the floor, did he receive it? He didn't. It was thrown at you, God's prevenient grace. There's my second fancy seminary word. Grace exists for everyone in and through the cross. Everyone. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever, not just a few people, the gate is wide open for all of humanity. All of us. He throws the ball. And it's hitting a lot of people in the forehead and goes down to the ground. And they never bother to receive the grace of God. And there are people out there walking around saying, well, I've received grace. What are you doing with it? Nothing. I don't have to earn anything. I just put it in my pocket. And now I'm just going to wait for Jesus to come back. And I'm just going to go about my life. And I'm going to do my 
everything and I'll sing a little bit. Would you, are you a member of the bride and the body? No. Oh gosh, those people at church, they're crazy. I don't like going to church. They're a, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Do you realize when you say that, that it makes you a hypocrite? Because what does the word say in Ephesians chapter four? Each member doing its part. There's no part of the body that just detaches itself and decides to stay at home. We who, to all in Rome, who were loved by God to be called saints in verse 7, that's not just the Romans. See, because while Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he wrote to them, it's for all the saints, right? All saints have two distinguishing characteristics. They have accepted, they have received, they have caught the grace of God. Amen? Amen. They are righteous. And to verify, to validate, to prove that you are righteous, what do you do? You live as a lowercase a apostle, a sent one. You are now holy, living it out to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations for his name's sake. If you're not doing that, it's a lie. As I shared with those little kids, the one job that I've given you, Connor, is to go out and to do that thing. Well, I did this other thing and, you know, I thought it would be a good idea if I did that. Well, I got ready to do the thing. None of those are substitutes for doing the thing that the Father has asked us to do. You remember in Isaiah, what more could I have done than what I've done already? When I expected a yield of good grapes, what you're producing are sour ones. Because you're sitting there telling me, well, hey, Dad, me putting on my shoes, that's the same as, you know, picking up the stuff in the backyard that you asked me to. It's not. Mowing the yard is the same thing as doing, no, it's not. Doing this thing over here, doing my sister's chores, that's the same thing. You know, I built an ark, I built a temple, I fought a giant. Those aren't what the things that God asked us to do. What God has commanded us to do is to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. That's Holy Six. Verse Six, this includes all y'all. That's the original Greek. Includes all y'all who are among those called to belong to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grace and apostleship. Righteous and holy. And what did, he, what did we say those two things are? They are indivisible. Because if you're standing over here, as James said, I'm righteous and you've got works. Well, I've got works and you've got righteousness. You're both wrong. See, because if you're righteous, it manifests as holiness. And if you are holy, it doesn't earn you. It doesn't reverse engineer righteousness. What it does is it validates it. It validates it. Title slide up here. In closing, I love to end with questions, open-ended. Are you manufacturing your own righteousness apart from Christ, hoping that your goodness, maybe even your church stuff, will make you acceptable to God? Oh, no, Pastor. Oh, no, Pastor, that wouldn't be me. Are you truly manifesting holiness by God's definition? Not yours, not mine, but what the word says. God's definition, his expectation, bringing about the obedience of faith among all the nations. Not attempting to reverse engineer it. Have you been unaware of what God expects of you? Have you ever stumbled along the way? 
I have, welcome to the club. But see, it can't stay there. Once it's exposed, what saints do is what? They repent, it becomes worship, and they validate their righteousness through their action, through their works, their holiness, their deeds. Are you righteous in Christ? The answer comes in answering, are you personally invested and involved in bringing about the obedience of faith among all the nations as a member of Christ's body and bride for his namesake? Let your response to that truth be your spiritual act of worship today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest fruit.